Uh, how many of you, you, maybe you're a single person today you, and you maybe would like to be married one day? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Do we have any of those? Okay, maybe a few. That's all right. That's great. And uh, maybe you don't care to be married. That's all right as well. How many of you are married? Would you raise your hands? Raise your hands high. Okay. You guys are married. We've got a lot of married folks in our church, a lot of single adults, wonderful single adults as well. And, uh, and the Apostle Paul affirms singleness. I want you to know that. And, uh, but we have a lot of married adults. Now, for, uh, for those of you who are married adults, how many of you, I just want to get straight to it with you, uh, get, cut to the quick, how many of you plan on committing adultery one day? Would you raise your hands? Anybody? Raise them up high. Anybody? Whew, I'm glad nobody did that, okay? That was uh, uh, just a little scary there for a few minutes. But, uh, but my point is this, okay? We have a lot of married folks today. I'm going to be talking probably uh, more to married folks, but what we're talking about here also applies for single folks here uh, as well. But, um, but my point is this, is that we raised our hands. Yes, we're married. We're, we're single folks. We're all of these different you know, kinds of things. But nobody raised their hand, praise the Lord, saying, I plan on wrecking my marriage and my family. I plan on messing that up. Nobody says anything like that, right? Because the reality is, is that most of us, that's not really in the plans, True, right? We don't really set out with this intention of destroying our, our family. We don't set out with this intention of, of messing our lives up because of some bad choices. We don't really do this. And yet, you know, conservative studies would say whenever you talk about the issue, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk specifically at this moment about adultery. I'm not even going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about sexual immorality, premarital sex, those kinds of things today. We'll talk about that on another week. But I want to talk about the issue of adultery that conservative statistics would say this, that, that close to 50% of men will have some kind of inappropriate relationship uh, outside of their marriage. Uh, conservative studies would say this, that a growing number of women, that's becoming more uh, something that is common for women. Uh, men, obviously, it seems to be a higher statistic. I don't know how accurate those statistics are. I, 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 I don't know, okay? All I know is that whenever I was doing research on this, those kind of numbers in that ballpark kept coming up. Here's the sad reality is that numbers within the church were better, but not much. And that's kind of scary, right? And, and that's something to think about, right? Last year, there was a website that is dedicated, completely dedicated to assisting people uh, in adulterous relationships that was hacked by computer hackers. Do you guys remember this last year sometime? They, it was hacked, and the client list came out public, and uh, really just uh, a lot of folks that were on that list uh, lost their jobs. A lot of people, uh, it messed their lives up because they were kind of exposed. Uh, some of them were celebrity celebrities that were exposed. Some of them reality TV folks uh, who were wholesome, supposedly, that were exposed in their adulterous uh, relationships. And, uh, and my point in, in this is, is that is that adultery is, has even become big business today. It's big business in our culture. And people have found a way to profit off of that. Um, and it also revealed this, how serious of an issue this really is in our culture. It really is relevant to what God's word is really relevant to, to problems that are happening. Uh, yes, this was written several thousand years ago, but it's stuff that's still going on in our culture today. It's stuff that's really relevant. God's word remains relevant to us today. 
God had something to say about the issue of adultery in Exodus chapter 20. It's just going to be up on the screen. You can look at it later if you want, but just quickly read it with me out loud. Let's say it out loud together. You shall not commit adultery. That one is pretty important, right? That one cracked the top 10. It's one of God's top 10, right? He said, you shall not commit adultery. It's an important thing to God. And and as we learn more about the character and nature of God, what we learn is that God gave us some guidelines to live by, not to make your life uh, a bad life. God gave us these kind of guidelines because he loves us and he wants us to live well. Right? As a father wants a son to live well. And so he said, this is really important. And, 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 and this is something, if God's going to say this in his word, it's something that as a pastor, I need to be willing and have the courage enough to talk about with you. I need to be sure I'm teaching all of God's word with you. It's something that we need to discuss, okay? The other reason I know that it needs to be discussed in our churches is, is, is good enough that God says it, but also this is that my own personal observation over the last 25 years of ministry has been this particular area, this particular struggle, and I'll call it what it is, even it's sin because God calls it sin. There have been multiple occasions where I have witnessed the devastation firsthand of families because someone made a terrible decision, someone made a choice, they went down a road that maybe they didn't think they were going to go down, they succumbed to sexual temptation in some kind of way. And here's the thing that's been crazy about this is I've witnessed this as a pastor and I've kind of tried to help people dealing with the aftermath and trying to put out the fires and, and which is just impossible when it, once it starts going, as we're going to talk about today, right? It's impossible to, to fix all of that, okay? Now, God's grace is abundant, but, but here's something that I've discovered. You would think this would only like be kind of uh, younger folks who maybe don't have as much wisdom as older, older folks who have lived more and have more life experience. But I've, I've seen couples who've been married over 30 years who ha- all of a sudden have dealt with this particular issue. And, and, uh, and, and I've seen pastors who have had problems with this and it's wrecked their lives and wrecked their churches as I'll share more about in a few moments. And I might be a bit naive here, but I happen to believe that for the most part, as I said a few moments ago, people don't just set out with the mindset of, you know what, today's the day I'm going to go ruin my life. Today's the day that I can't wait to destroy and bring hurt upon all of those in my family. Or today's the day that I'm going to wreck my career because of sexual immorality. Nobody really wakes up saying, you know what, I think I'll commit adultery today. I mean, that's not typically how it happens, okay? That's not typically. I mean, there may be some people that kind of think along those lines, but that's not typical, And Solomon is going to address this. The other reason I know this needs to be talked about in our churches is because we have a spiritual enemy. Would we all agree there? We have a real spiritual enemy who is so very sinister. And his mission statement, Jesus said, is very clear, which is to kill and to destroy and to wreck things that matter to the heart of God. And I want you to know something that that the sanctity of marriage matters to the heart of God. And so our enemy is going to try to destroy that. Your peace and joy in your life matters to the heart of God. And so our enemy is going to be very crafty in seeking to destroy that. Where God wants us to live well, 
uh, and have wisdom in our life. Satan wants to do everything within his power to prevent us from experiencing God's very best in our life. He's going to work really hard at wrecking our lives. And one of the things that we clearly see as a strategy of Satan that you, you and I, we need to be aware of is that he is very masterful at creating discontentment. He knows how to exploit discontentment in our lives. He knows how to, how to make you feel as if your life is dissatisfying. And he's good at exploiting those moments where you're going through that kind of moment or season in your life. We need to understand that Satan is very masterful at wanting, wanting us to feel like we are missing out. He's used that kind of ploy and that tactic from the very beginning whenever uh, Adam and Eve were in the beautiful, perfect Garden of Eden. You know, think about that. He wants you to think that there's something better out there. He wants you to think that God is holding out on you. And that's what he did, again, with Adam and Eve uh, as he tempted them. They had everything that was perfect. Their relationship was perfect. There was no sin. uh, and, And yet, he wanted them to think that there was something that was better. And this is important for us to all acknowledge today, all right? In the church, we need to acknowledge this today. As your pastors, we need to acknowledge this today. As your leaders, okay? And here is what we need to acknowledge. We need to understand that we are all susceptible to failure in this area. We need to understand that we're all susceptible to failure in this area. Amen, right? We're all susceptible. I know we, don't, we like to not think about that, or maybe we think we're beyond that, but I want you to think about this with me, okay? Some of the greatest men in God's word failed in this area. Solomon failed, unfortunately, in this area. David, a man after God's own heart, failed in this area. David was pouring into his son Solomon, trying to teach his son uh, about this. Solomon was now trying to teach his son about this. Samson, another great man of God, failed in this area. And what that should do for us is it should cause us, and it certainly causes me to think about these guys who were certainly, I I would say, certainly better men. I mean, they made the book. I'm not in there, right? (laughs) If these guys can mess up should we not also be on guard? We need to be on guard. We need to really carefully, uh, you know, live our lives when it comes to this specific area, right? And, and this, I've watched this take down good people, I believe, who are good people who let their guard down. And then the next thing you know, they were entangled in such a mess, And so we have to be vigilant. So much of Proverbs deals with this issue of wisdom regarding our choices whenever it comes to our sexual lives. We'll look at some of that wisdom today. And remember, he wrote these with the instruction to a son. He wants to live well. So in chapter 5, he's going to start talking very directly. And that's something for us as parents to take note of. That, that it's important that we talk with our kids about this. This is a father modeling this for us. He's going to talk about sexual temptation. He's going to talk about the consequences. 
and, and how that affects living well. Now, as a preface, as we read this, I want to say this, that this is not meant as a negative slight on women or to say that women are the source of the problem. That is not what Solomon is doing here, and that is not what he's saying. In fact, when, when Solomon would talk about wisdom, as I said in week one, he would often personify it with a feminine slant, Right? He would often speak of it in that nature. In Proverbs chapter 31, he talks about the impact of a godly woman. So there is a value of women in this. This is not a degrading of of women. This is not saying the uh, woman is the problem, okay? When you hear the seductress, as we talk about the seductress, you should know that sexual immorality and sinfulness itself is the temptress. Okay, that that is the tempter for us. It's the temptress. Solomon wants us to live well, and he's providing his son a scenario that would would relate to his son. So obviously he's going to use a female, okay, at this particular junction as he's talking with his son. So he's going to begin talking to him about avoiding the snares of sexual immorality. And over and over again, when you look, when he talks about this kind of problem, he's going to talk about traps. He's going to talk about snares. He's going to talk about kind of a guy that was wandering and not really paying attention, and then he ends up in trouble. So let's jump right in. Avoiding the snares of sexual immorality starts by recognizing the power of the seduction, that it's powerful. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, he's going to say to his son, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth or her speech. She's good at talking to you. She's good at luring you. It is smoother than oil, okay? What Solomon is saying here is that this young man is very likely at some point Someday, either as a single person who's trying to live his life or her life as a, in a pure sense and, and do and follow God's prescription for sex in marriage, he's saying this along with the fact that as a married person, there will some, some likely at some point be a time where you are, you are looking out and find perhaps something that in your mind you think is more appealing than what God has already blessed you with. He's saying, son, at some point, you're perhaps going to think that you're missing out. You're perhaps going to think that, you know, your, your, your spiritual enemy maybe has something better to offer you. You probably won't even be thinking in terms of your spiritual enemy. You may have some thoughts like this. Well, you know, I kind of thought that whenever I got married, that our, our sex life was going to be better. Or I thought that there was going to be better here or whatever. Or, or maybe it was going to be a little more exciting. There would be a little more passion. It'd be more like you see in the movies, you know, or whatever. Maybe more variety. But, but the reality is that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking as, as a person who's struggling with this, right? Um, maybe it's, you know, it's just kind of dull to me right now. There has to be something better. This is just the same old, same old. There's got to be something a little more spicy out there. Something better out there. And... Maybe Satan won't attack you from the physical standpoint. Maybe, maybe, ladies, he would come to you with the emotional kind of standpoint or the emotional temptation where it's like, you know, that husband of yours, he's just not paying any attention to you. He doesn't really listen to you very much. You guys, in fact, you hardly ever talk. 
when you do, it's really kind of about nothing. You know, there has to be someone out there that, girl, if they saw all this, they'd want that, you know. And, and you know, when you, when you finally come across and find Mr. McDreamy, when you find him out there, you know what he's going to do? He's going to listen to you. And then when he's done listening, he's going to listen more. And when he's finished listening, you can just cuddle. And you're going to cuddle and... You know, there never will be any cross words. There'll never be any problems. He'll never leave the toilet seat up. He won't leave his socks on the floor. You know, everything's going to be perfect. And, and he, Solomon is saying, son, you have to realize that the seduction is very alluring. The seduction is very real. It's dangerous. You have to recognize that it does look good initially. It is very tempting you are not going to be tempted with things that are unappealing. You're going to be tempted with things that appeal to your flesh, and you still have a flesh even as a believer. Your flesh is going to be tempted. Temptation, he's saying, is a smooth talker. The look is attractive, right? The touch is enticing. The lure is exhilarating. He's saying, son, you have to stop and recognize it for what it really is. And to do that, a wise person will recognize the seduction. Now, many will recognize the seduction, but won't have wisdom to take action, proper action. And instead, they'll go down that road anyway, thinking that they are above failure in that area. And so what he's saying is that a wise person will recognize the seduction. And if you want to avoid immorality, you recognize it. But here's the second thing that a wise person does. They visualize the waves of devastation. I mean, and, and, and waves is a good way of saying this. You actually have to envision the consequences is what he's going to show his son here. You have to know where this is going to lead. Waves is a good way of saying this, okay? Uh, the waves of devastation because literally one consequence eventually will crash down upon you. It's kind of like whenever I've gone to the ocean before and I've got just hammered by a big wave, even though sharks scare me, I still get in the water. And I get hammered by a wave that's happened to me before and I got disoriented. Have you ever done that? And then the next thing you know, man, here comes another one. Bam! It hits you again. It's another wave. It comes in waves like this. And this is what he's saying is that there are these waves of devastation. It will not only impact you personally, but this is what you have to visualize who else is it going to impact around you? Who else are you going to devastate? It's a good way of thinking of it is those waves of devastation. This is someone who has the wisdom or the foresight who will stop and think. And you know what I was thinking while I was writing this this week? Perhaps that's some of you today. That today you would stop and really think along with me. And it's painful to start thinking that way of what that might actually look like. But Solomon is going to show us that that is a great level of accountability when you understand what your decisions may actually bring about. All right. Solomon is going to say, he said, son, it's like you're a bee that's being led to the flower where this, where it's so, the, the, the nectar is so sweet. And, and that's the fantasy that it's all going to be perfect. But in reality, son, trust me, it's really kind of more like this, this Venus fly trap, right? You see that? And, and it's, it's, it's appealing. And I had some great videos of that. I just didn't have time today. And these flies are just all, oh, this is great. And the next thing you know, man, it closes in on them. They are in prison and then they slowly die this long death, right? Yay for the flies, right? We're excited about that. 
But here's what, it, the, the nectar is appealing, but what he's saying is the game is rigged against you. It's rigged against you. You don't think that anything bad is going to come of this, but he's saying it will slowly devour you. It will devour you. It will eat you alive. One of the words in chapter 6, it actually means devouring. We'll get to it in a minute. Proverbs chapter 5, he says, Lips like honey, speech smoother than oil. And then in verse 4, But in the end, he says, But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. For she cares nothing about the path to life. Why is that? Because really, she's only interested in the immediate cheap thrill. She's only, she has no foresight, or he has no foresight. It's all about what's happening right now, and that is what the fool does, okay? It goes on, and he says this. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. It's a little humid, sorry. Um, staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize that at all is what, is what he ends up saying because all this person is thinking of is the instant gratification. And we talked about that, about wisdom and foolishness a couple of weeks ago. What Solomon is saying is, son, there will be a thrill for a moment. Exhilaration and excitement in the beginning. But inevitably, when it's all said and done, the devastation is unavoidable. It is going to happen. You're not special where you're not going to, to get away with this or, or it's not going to happen in your life to where you don't, are not held accountable because God has a spiritual law. And the spiritual law is what you sow, you shall reap. And he says this, and, and, and even if nobody, no other human being finds out, you need to understand as we'll read here in a few moments that God sees it and God holds us accountable for our actions all right? And, and this is going to affect you. It's going to affect other people. He goes on and he says this in verse 7. It leads to death and destruction. Verse 7. So now my sons, now my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't even go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. That's wisdom, okay? If only I had not ignored all the warnings. In other words, you're being warned. God's been trying to get your attention about this. He's been trying to say this, and and he's going to say, why? Why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. He's trying to bring reality to the fantasy. Because what we'll often do is we'll be caught up in the fantasy and we'll stay in the fantasy world. And Solomon says a wise person will realize that the fantasy, here is what the reality is. You very likely can end up financially broken. He's going to talk about this in the next few verses and in chapter 6. You'll end up emotionally broken. You can end up relationally broken. In some cases, even physically broken as disease uh, you know, is a possibility for those who engage in this. I mean, it's, he's saying, son, does this sound like a lot of fun? 
Initially, he says, it sounds great. It's smoother than oil. It looks good. It's so tempting. But he's going to bring this up in another way where he speaks of wisdom's value in our life and protecting us from this horrible decision that can ruin our lives. Flip the page, go to Proverbs chapter 6. Let's look in verses 24. And uh, I want to read this passage to you, verse 24. It says, it, that is wisdom, what we're talking about today, will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you, is what he says. There's the power of the seduction. He's echoing this again in chapter 6. Now, here is your foresight. Here is your visualization of the depth of devastation. You see, he brings the power of the seduction, and then he's going to start talking about reality rather than fantasy. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. By the way, in the, in the Old Testament, that was, that was a reality because if you were caught in adultery in the Old Testament, what did they do? They stoned you, right? Okay? And what he's saying is it will cost you your life. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his coal, a clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? Did y'all see the Tony Robbins thing this weekend? Just saying. Okay. All right. So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. And so he's being really clear about this. But the man who commits adultery is an utter, say it with me, church, what? Fool. He says that is just utter foolishness. Now, why is he a fool? What does it say next? Read it with me. For he destroys himself. Nobody did this to him. The woman didn't do this to him. He destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced His shame will never be erased. And so the next time he's saying you're thinking about fantasizing about that person who could could be what it is that you're missing. And you want to fantasize about the the conversation or fantasize about the emotion uh, and the attachment there. Or even fantasize about the the sex or, or whatever. He's saying what you have to do is you have to stop and instead visualize what reality is. The wise person will stop and have foresight to say, I need to think about what all this could mean in my life if I make this decision, right? And the reality is, as we said a moment, it goes beyond just you. It goes beyond just you and the person that you cheat with. Solomon is saying, son, take a step back, think about this. And and I want to just interject this. This is a really sensitive area for me, okay, personally. It's a sensitive area because I have been a part And I've shared this with our church before, but I've been a part of two churches where this kind of scenario took down the man who was the pastor. And I I have to say that it's embarrassing for me to say that to you. And and, and we're going to Montreal to talk to church planners this week, and we're going to talk to them about this very thing, part of this. And it's embarrassing to bring that up. But but I have been a part of two churches where this scenario of adultery took down uh, the man who was the leader of that church. 
Praise God, that's not something that, is, that has been experienced in EBC and the leadership. And you keep praying for your pastors and for wisdom and godliness in these areas. But I saw the devastation of when that happened. I saw it firsthand. As someone who was on staff uh, at those churches, I saw it not only just the devastation that happened with their wife, but I also saw it because one of their sons was one of my best friends. And I saw what it did to him, and I saw how it wrecked him, and I saw how it messed him up, and how he still battles with it even today as we are still close friends. I saw hundreds of families hurt and walk away from their church. Sadly, just in many cases, some of them walking away from their faith, completely disappointed and very disillusioned with the church as a, as a whole. I remember myself, okay, and the personal effect that it had upon me as I looked up to this particular individual, and there were two times that I saw this, right? And how questions were now raised in my mind about all the things that I'd heard those men say when they were in the pulpit. And now anytime I thought about things that they said, I wondered, was there any truth to that? Was there any, was there any integrity in what was being spoken about that, right? Was all of it just a bunch of junk? And I saw the pain that it caused so many people around. And one of the things that God taught me and has taught me in the midst of me going through some of that and being involved in churches where that was a problem, right, with a person who was in a place of leadership, is that God has taught me, and you keep praying for me, to, to have wisdom in the sense of being able to visualize what the devastation, because I've seen it, visualize what it really looks like, what it really does to people, the depths and the waves of the devastation, the consequences that accompany those kinds of actions. And let me say, as I said a moment ago, I never want to stand before you and say that I'm above making a mistake in that area. You need to be praying for your pastors because we certainly have a target on our back where the enemy knows that this is an area that, that where he wants to take good men and women down because he wants, to, he wants to bring shame into the ministry and shame the name of Jesus Christ before the world. And so, and so again, as I said, if David can have a failure, then we need to stand guard. Paul said this, let those of you who think you stand take heed lest you fall, okay? So even Paul recognized you have to constantly stay on guard, you have to constantly be guarding against your flesh that, that, that looks to, to be appeased. And, and so I've painfully, one of the ways that I, I hold myself accountable is that I've painfully looked ahead at what a failure like that may look like in my life. And let me tell you what I've seen. I've imagined in my mind what would happen if I betrayed my covenant vows that I made with my wife Hope before God and before my family and before many who are also in my life as I covenanted with God and I, kept, and I made a promise to God to be faithful to her for all of our lives. And let me just tell you, what I can imagine is really only the tip of the iceberg. What I can imagine doesn't even really touch at all. But here are some things that would happen. I've shared this before, but I just want to bring it up again. First of all, I would drag God's name through the mud. I would drag the name of Jesus Christ, the one who suffered and died for me, who paid for my life with his blood, who took my beating, who took my sin upon him. I would, I would drag his name through the mud. I one day would stand before him 
And I would have to give an account of my actions that would be the, and that would be the very worst moment in my eternity to have to stand before him and explain my actions there. And this is the most sobering thought and it's the most accountable thought that I have. But next, I would devastate thousands of people, not just people in our church, but people that I grew up with, people that I went to high school with, that even though they didn't agree with maybe my convictions, that they admire me for, and they know that I'm serious about my faith. And, and now they would look at that and see that maybe I wasn't a man of integrity like I tried to live before them when my, my final two years in high school when Jesus was changing my life. And, and, you know, and so I would impact those folks as they would certainly find out about that and be like, man, see that guy, well, he never was really real. He didn't really live by what he said he believed in. It would impact people that God has given me the privilege of having in my life before I ever became the pastor of Eagles View. I was a youth pastor before that. I was a young married adult minister before that. I poured into people's lives in those places. Uh, some of the students that were in my youth ministry are now in the ministry today. One of them works at the Village Church over in Fort Worth. One of them, uh, one of them is a hospital chaplain. I mean, I'm excited to say those kinds of things. One of them is a is a youth minister here in our community at Lighthouse Fellowship. I love, I love that I've had an impact on some people in that kind of way, right? But now they would be embarrassed to say that I was a pastor in their life. They would be embarrassed and, and, and maybe perhaps in some cases not only be embarrassed, but, but they may even kind of be like, like I was at that one point. Was what this guy saying, was it true? Was he always like this? Was he deceiving me all along the way? You know, I know that, that there would be people who would, who would say, you know, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the church. I'm, I'm leaving the faith in some cases. And I don't mean that to be arrogant like I have that much impact on people You say, how do you know that that would happen? Because here's what I want to tell you. I've seen it happen. It happened in the churches that I was at. I still know individuals who have said, I will never walk back in the doors of another church. And it breaks my heart today to know that that is still the case. And it was 20 years ago that this happened. And I'm like, wow, that is the devastation, the waves of devastation You know, not to mention this, and I want to just bring this up. These are the most painful thoughts for me is to mention, you know, this is hard to even talk about what this would do to my beloved wife, Hope, who has given me 25 years of her life, who has given up so much uh, and has been my helpmate in, in being a minister and my helpmate in life. And, and, and just knowing what she's done in, in investing in our common dream together to plant a church for Jesus Christ that reaches people and, and loves people, to know that she gave up uh, so I could go to school to be able to, to, to you know, have some education to do this. She gave that up at the time, and she's much smarter than I am, and much you know, she's better at school than I ever could be. She gave all of that up. This would crush her heart. This would crush her because it would be making a statement that, that she would think I would be making about her at that particular moment. And then I started thinking about this. What about my kids? What, what would this do to my children who love their daddy, who respect their dad, 
who know that he's not a perfect man because I try to be who I am at home, who I am here. They see that. They, they know that I, that I try to live in an authentic manner. I'm not perfect, but they do respect me and they do love me. They do know that I love Jesus. What would this do to their precious, impressionable little spiritual minds? How would it scar them? Right, Raising all kinds of questions in their minds. If this isn't real enough for dad that he could live you know, with integrity, then why should it be real enough for me? I'd be showing my son how to be selfish and think only of himself. I'd be showing my daughter that, hey, you know what? Even good men that love Jesus, I, I would be showing them that they can't ever be trusted. You see how it just, the waves of dis- destruction just keep going and going and going. And it's like you have no control over the consequences. I'd lose my job, and rightfully so. I'd put my family's financial well-being in jeopardy. We'd probably have to move our church Now, we have set it up in such a way that it would not fail because we've set it up to where it's not all about me because I saw other churches where it was all about one personality. And when that personality fell, the church was wrecked. Now, I do want to say this. It would give our church a black eye. A black eye that would take some time to, to recover from. I, I've, I've seen the churches that were this happened in that some 20 years later have still not recovered. They've not recovered financially. They've not recovered with their uh, standing within the community. Do you see how it just keeps going and going? All that I'd worked for and sweated for and toiled for and cried for and scratched and clawed during the lean times, gone, gone. In a few moments of pleasure. Not to mention the shame and the embarrassment that I'd have to live with. I I couldn't go to the store without wanting to duck and hide because of people talking about me behind my back and snickering and, and people being angry with me. Again, I've seen all of this. I I, I have to envision this. Solomon is saying, son, envision where this is going to take you. Be wise enough to stop and to see what this is going to lead to in your life. For 45 years, I've been giving my life to the Lord in these areas, trying trying to lead a church, trying to be, I haven't been leading a church for 45 years, but I've been trying to love the Lord, right? And, and, And in just a few selfish moments, I could give it all away. Now, this is what God, through Solomon, is is trying to get through to you and to me today uh, is to look ahead, visualize the devastation. And I have to tell you, it is not fun to think about or talk about. When I thought about it this week, I sat in my office at home and I sat there by myself and I thought about my wife and I thought about my kids and I wept. And I hadn't even done anything. And I thought, I cannot imagine me doing this to my family. What this would do. I thought about you and what that would say, right? I, I thought about this. And when Solomon's saying, you got to think now. you got to envision this now. There's an accountability with this. When you count the cost up front, it is a level of accountability. 
all right? What I, what I want you to think about, all right, is that it, it, you got to think about how it affects you. It affects other people. And here's one other aspect I want to bring up with you today. If you are a person who is susceptible to pornography, I want to say a word about this today, okay? Uh, by the way, I don't have time to get into the statistics about those in the church who struggle with pornography, but let me just say this about it. It's very real, okay? And we don't need to put our head in the sand about this. A lot of people are struggling with this. It's so pre- prevalent. It's so much in our faces every single day. It's a very real problem for people who are believers. And we need, to, we need to acknowledge this. Jesus said that it's not only the physical act of adultery that God forbids, but Jesus said it's a sin of the heart. It's a sin of the mind, okay? And it does damage. And we often think of pornography as a victimless vice, We think of it as a victimless kind of vice, a harmless sin where nobody gets hurt. Well, it's just me, and I'm just kind of looking in anonymity. But here's what I want you to hear today. It is not victimless. It is not a victimless vice. Yes, there are those who choose to get into the industry there, but we also need to understand that there are many who are forced into that industry through, through human trafficking. They are forced into it. This is growing at an epidemic rate in our world today uh, through a proliferation of the internet uh, just uh, because there's such a high demand through the perversity. And so here's what I want to say is that if you're engaging in pornography and you're clicking uh, on certain websites and going to certain places, then you are perhaps, and I would even say it this way, unwittingly, you may not even realize this, but unwittingly contributing to the growing human trafficking epidemic. You are creating more demand. You're creating demand, which fuels the fire for human traffickers to go after more victims. And I bring this aspect up today because for several months, a growing group of us here at EBC has felt led to begin a ministry Uh, to those who are victims of human trafficking as well as their families. And it's a very real problem, and we don't need to pretend like it's not a problem anymore. It is a real problem. It is even happening within the vicinity of where our church is. It happened to my next-door neighbor, as I shared with you a while back. So I'm bringing this up today. A new ministry is being started. Even today, with you today hearing about this, it's a ministry that those who are a part of the ministry, we've given it the name Ransomed. And the snares of immorality does not just destroy your life, all right, but it destroys, uh, it destroys others. It destroys the lives of those who are innocent, who are being trafficked by traffickers in this particular area. In essence, many of them, millions of them, are being held in slavery against their will. They are being held in slavery due to, again, the Internet, due to the fact that many of us are uncomfortable of talking about this, uh, due to the fact that some of us just have our head in the sand and some of us are just flat out unaware We don't know that this is a reality that's happening, but this industry is growing at an epic rate. I shared a few weeks ago that my next door neighbor, uh, her teenage daughter became a trafficking victim. This is right here in Saginaw. My next door neighbor, uh, many who are experts in this particular area have said, and law enforcement experts have said and have declared Texas as the epicenter for North America, particularly the DFW and Houston area. Houston because of the ports, DFW because of its centrality to the rest of the country, okay? And here's what I want to say. I can't ignore this problem anymore. I cannot just stick my head in the sand. 
I feel like it's my responsibility as a believer, as a man who is supposed to be a warrior for God, to fight for justice for those who can't fight for themselves. I think it's my responsibility, and, and my, my hope is that not only the women who are in our church uh, would get on board with this, with this vision for this ministry. My hope is that many of you who are men will rise up and be the warriors that God has called you to be, to fight for these victims, to fight for these individuals. The men of EBC would step up and be who God is calling them to be. And that if you are involved in watching porn, that you would recognize today that God is calling you to repentance because he loves you. He's calling you to get help if you need help. And our intent today is not to shame you or to condemn you, but is to throw a lifeline out to you today and to help pull you out of something that is contributing terribly to, to, uh, to a horrible life for some individual somewhere. To realize that, to say that you are against human trafficking, and I think every person here would say that they are, that they are against it. But to say that you are against it and to still participate in pornography is like saying this. It's like saying that you are protesting a political candidate, and yet, as you're protesting, you're giving money to that candidate, and you're supporting that candidate, right? I mean, I want you to think with me, church. These are people that Jesus fought for. These are people that Jesus wants us to fight for, the oppressed, people who can't fight for themselves, the victims. Jesus said the church is to be on the offensive against evil, charging the gates of hell, and that the gates of hell would not withstand us, right? I mean, that's what he's called us to be about. This is a real problem, regardless if we acknowledge it or not. I love this quote by Edmund Burke. He said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do what? Nothing. To do nothing. And I just don't want to be in that camp anymore. The ransom ministry is underway. You can get involved. You can sign up. There's a sign-up sheet in the back, and that doesn't commit you to anything. It just says I'm interested in getting involved and learning more about this. You're also going to get an email from me today. Our church will get an email that is going to come to your inbox that if you're interested in finding more information out about this, you can just click on one of the links, okay? Um, We are partnering with a reputable organization that Gateway Church, Northwood Church, among uh, many other solid churches are partnering with. It's an organization called Traffic 911. There are handouts that are in your bulletin today that are going to bring awareness to you about this. But on July, or yeah, July 10th, the CEO of Traffic 911 is going to be joining us for a luncheon meeting training session where we are launching this new ministry. And the other thing that I want to say is that we don't want to condemn those who are struggling with this real issue of pornography in their lives. They're struggling with this. Our purpose, again, is not to shame you. Our purpose is to throw the lifeline to you. It's to bring help to you. We are a church for the broken. We are a church that wants to come alongside people who have struggles in their life. It's a a church where we hope that you'll feel safe to deal with some of your secret sins. It's a church where I hope you will experience God's grace in your life that will set you free from that which ensnares you. In that same email today, I'm going to be reaching out to you as well. 
And we're going to be providing you with resources to help you start getting help in that area. Or if maybe you have a loved one who is ensnared within that sin, to start getting them some help, okay? And, and we're going to come alongside those who need help in this area, who will reach out. You can click on a link that we're also going to send to you and begin the process of healing today, knowing that you will be helped with confidentiality. Your pastors, let me say this to you, we love you. More importantly, Jesus loves you. Amen, right? We want to help in these areas. We don't want to just say this is wrong. We want to help those who are struggling in this particular area. I want to wrap this up just very quickly with you. A few more points with Solomon, okay? To avoid the snares of immorality, you have to recognize the power of the seduction. You have to stop and visualize the actual damage. If you choose to participate, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting others, you're hurting uh, folks who are victims in the trafficking industry. You're hurting. You have to stop and you have to say, is this really worth it? Right? Solomon would say next to his son, you have to, number three, have a proactive plan for purity. You have to have a proactive plan for purity. If you're a married person today or you plan on getting married, wisdom says you, you are proactive in shielding your marriage from the traps of the evil one. You recognize the traps, he says, when it comes to the seduction. Go back to chapter 5, verse 8. What does he say? He says, stay away from her. Don't go near even the door of her house. He said, I'm not even talking about going in the house. He said, you don't even need to go near the door. Don't come within the vicinity of this place. Quit messing around with this and getting close to the line. You are not as strong as you think you are is what he's saying. And a few years ago, in fact, it was not long after we started the church, there was a lady in our church that came to our house and she was there to see my wife, Hope. And the problem was, was that Hope was not home yet. And I was there by myself. My kids were not there either. And so I was already there. And I already had an action plan in place that I had developed preemptively, again, because of what I'd gone through at the other churches and what I saw. And uh, when I I'd put this in place, and, and, and the plan was this, is that, I, and I still live by this plan, was not to be alone uh, with a woman who was not my spouse or a family member. Not to be in, a, in a, a place where I was by myself. So I told this lady, I said, well, you can stay here for a few minutes and, and I don't want you to leave. I'm going to go ahead and go though. I've got a few things that I need to do. But I, and, you know, and just for propriety's sake, I'm going to go ahead and go. I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that. And I, and I tried to be funny. I said, look, I'm not even saying I'm irresistible or anything. I'm not saying anything like that. And, 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 you know, I just said, this is just my, and I was trying as a pastor to say, this is just my standard. I try to live above reproach as an elder, as a pastor, that's what I'm called to do. And so I don't want anybody seeing something and thinking things. And even though nothing might happen here. And so I just left and she stayed there at our house waiting on hope to get there. But the thing I wanted to point out to you today is whenever I shared this with her, she thought it was ridiculous. She said, this is ridiculous. And she kind of mocked me even on that day. And in fact, um, I later heard from other people that she'd been talking to that she had told them how ridiculous it was that, and that I shared very little faith in two uh, mature adults. And so I was made fun of. I was kind of scoffed at for this standard in my life, for my preemptive plan for purity. And I don't say this with any glee whatsoever, none. But, but it was a few years later that this woman had an affair 
and cheated on her husband, which ultimately led to her divorce with him, devastating him, devastating their children. And so I got laughed at, but I'm still happily married. And I'm not saying that snarky, okay? I'm not saying that in a way that I think I'm better. The difference, I think, between her and myself was that I had a plan that I was already living by. I had standards that were in place, and, 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 and evidently she did not, okay? Solomon said, don't go near the door. Don't put yourself in the position of the end of this place where it's inappropriate. We've got to change this, this line of thinking that it's not just physical inappropriateness. That's not only the line. Often when you get there, it certainly is too late, but many times you've crossed even before that line. You know, again, I would remind you, no one wakes up today saying, I think I'll be an adulterer today. You don't do that. He's saying you have to be, you have to be uh, careful. You have to have a plan. You have to determine clear boundaries. Let me give you real quick, write these things down very quickly. I, I don't have time to expound on these. But here is a plan for those who are married, just a plan just to kind of put in place. And it may seem extreme, but I'd say the numbers regarding adultery are pretty extreme. Okay, but here's here's some things that you might put in place. Never be alone with the opposite sex. That's not your spouse, right? Okay, or maybe your daughter or your mother or a member of your family. Never discuss your marriage problems with the opposite sex. Don't do that. You start making these emotional ties whenever you're talking about your marriage problems with them. Never hang around the wrong environments. And and what I mean by that is is be careful of the places you're going. Be careful where you let your eyes visit when you're on the internet. Be careful when you're on Facebook. I have already seen in our church two times already within the last few years, uh, a married person got kind of connected with their old high school flame or whatever, left their family, left them to go be with that. I've seen it happen twice in our church. It's real. It's happening. You got to be careful with these kinds of things. Um, And by the way, both of those relationships that they went to go have, they've already fizzled out, okay? And uh, always have accountability, Always have some kind of accountability. Someone who will look you in the eye regularly, consistently say, how are you doing with God? How are you doing with this? What's your thought life like? Get in a life transformation group where you can be real with each other about the struggles. Here's another one. This is really important. And always water your own grass. Always water your own grass. We're so inclined the grass to think the grass is greener elsewhere. What I'm learning, man, the grass is greenest where it's getting plenty of attention and water. Water your own grass. You know, the people with the best yards on my street are the ones that work at it. And it takes two people working at it. Two that are giving attention to it. Two that are working on the marriage, not just expecting that it's going to happen. All right, here's the fourth and final thing. I got to quit, okay? Fourth thing is if you want to avoid sexual immorality, you must intentionally invest in your own marriage. Intentionally invest. Solomon's going to say to his young son, he's trying to influence, he's going to say, look, son, I'm tr- daddy's not trying to tell you that sex is bad. He's not trying to tell you sex is wrong. In fact, son, it's awesome when it's done God's way. It's a gift that God has created by God for a husband and a wife. He's not trying to sexually frustrate this young man. He's trying to give him a solution for his drive. God's given you this drive. Now, this is where it's to be fulfilled. 
in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. Just very quickly, okay, and let's pray. He says in chapter 5, verse 15, Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. He's saying, son, this is sacred. Son, this is a gift of pleasure. It's a gift of satisfaction that God gives you and your wife, okay? Number, or verse 18, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be, what's the word? Captivated. Captivated by her love. And you may be thinking as you're blushing, I can't believe he read that from the pulpit. Listen, God is showing us here is that God designs and approves sexual joy and gratification within the marriage. Amen, right? And in fact, he's showing us is that when there is sexual fulfillment within the marriage with two people who are being selfless in their relationship, intentionally seeking to satisfy their spouse, that that is a great protector against infidelity. It's a great protector. Solomon is saying married couples need to be intimate regularly and with intention. By the way, Paul also talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's saying, men, your wife is like a deer. How many of you are hunters? Hunters? Deer hunters? Okay. You know, as a deer hunter, you don't go, hey, deer, come here, deer. The deer's going to run off, right? That's not how you do that, right? That's a whole other message another time, Okay. But he said, be satisfied with her. It's captivated with her. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? The word captivated there literally means devoured. Devoured. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins, They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. 